Would you turn with me to Proverbs chapter 4? We're going to be looking at Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, and then we're going to spend some time in James. Um, you know, uh, I think Pastor Doug was saying when he uh, did his uh, entry of this uh, series called Family Matters that uh, there's so much information and how to get it down into a sermon is, uh, is a challenge, it really is. Um, I was thinking about the communication piece here that I, I do like a six-week um, thing on communication. So what I'm going to probably do this week is I'm going to ask Terry, I'm going to have a handout for you guys with a number of verses, a number of principles that I won't be able to hit today, and I'll have Terry send that out to the congregation. I'll ask you to spend some time studying it, because uh, uh, communication is such a major uh, impact um, in our lives. So just to give you an idea, last week we spent some time talking about getting to the heart of the matter, and we were looking at Proverbs 4, verse 23, and it says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. And I wanted you to realize that your heart is, is the central aspect of who you are, um, all the problems that we have in life, all the difficulties in, in thought and word and action spill out of our hearts. We talked about the fact that there are some that have a heart that, are out, that is outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and for those that are outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible actually says that our hearts are, are broken and, and depraved and fallen and we're ignorant of the blessings of God. And and that every person born in this world is born separated from God. That we have no hope, there's no potential within us to believe in him or grasp the gospel truly. And what God does is this, he, he gives us a new heart, he transforms us from the inside out. He's given us a promised new heart, a heart that can love him and obey him, but a heart that is called to admit our wrong and a heart that is called to trust and rely on him. That God has made you to be eternally happy. He has made you to be eternally full in him, in his son. We find our ultimate and lasting happiness in God. Your, your heart is a barometer of your life. It's a barometer of your character. It's a barometer of your life. You can, you can look at a person's life, and it's a wellspring. It's an attitude. It's an um, illustration of what's happening deep within. I talked to you about the fact that your heart serves as the foundation of all of your relationships. This, it's the centering part of your life. You know, it's interesting that... Um, the world, if you were to ask them about the heart, they would see the heart as primarily the emotions that we have today. And they would say that the emotions are the driving force of who our heart is. Back in the ancient times, there were times where people believed that the emotions were actually wrong and they would press those emotions down and suppress them. And they believed that the intellect, the rationality was most important. And today what we've actually done is we've actually flipped that where the intellect is less important, but the emotions and the passions are what are uh, the guiding force today. And what we spoke about last week is this, that there is a leader that you should not be following, and you should not be following your passions alone. That your heart is a part of your mind, it's your emotions, it's your will, it's the internal you, that there's a physical you, but there's an internal you, and that internal you makes a difference in your life. 
Our hearts are so messed up that it's impossible for us to fully understand our own hearts. In Jeremiah, it says their hearts are deceptive and desperately sick. We can't even know our own hearts, let alone knowing somebody else's heart. So our hearts are messed up. It's impossible for us to understand it. It's impossible for us to fully cleanse even our own hearts. I can't even clean my own heart alone. That's why I need to look outside of myself to God. All of your thoughts and all of your words and all of your actions are a byproduct of what's happening deep within your heart and your life. I asked you last week to think about the fact that your heart, the passage says, to guard or keep your heart. And it's like putting a sentinel out in front. I told you that I had a friend who is a Secret Service agent, and he protect. He was on protective duty, and what he's doing is protecting the person that he is going to be guarding. I asked you to think about the fact that so many of us protect our identities. We protect our, our pins um, at our banks. We protect our phones, but we spend very little time guarding our heart. And I wanted you to think about guarding your heart versus pride. For some of us, we we have this tendency to puff ourselves up, think much about ourselves, whether it's greed or lust or whatever it may be. Some of you need to guard your heart versus selfishness. We become so selfish. It's all about us. Instead of pleasing God and loving others, it becomes about pleasing me. Some of us need to guard our hearts versus bitterness. I was saying to you that there are people that that you know and I know that have been hurt by somebody even decades ago, and that is having an impact in their life today that is still leading their lives, that the person that did something 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago is determining the direction of their lives today because their hearts have not been guarded from bitterness Some of us need to guard our hearts from laziness. We just don't work hard. We don't study hard. We don't work hard for the kingdom of God. Some of us need to um, protect our hearts from immorality, idolatry. There's a whole list in Scripture. Guard your heart. Keep your heart. The Bible's understanding of the heart is this. It is the seat of all of who you are. It becomes the centering aspect of what you love and what you treasure and what is the driving force behind your life. It's what your mind, your will, your emotions focus on. I didn't use this quote last week, but St. Augustine said this, Lord, you have made us for yourself. You know this one, right? Lord, you have made us for yourself and our what? Hearts are restless until we rest in you. That God has created every single person in this world to center on him. And we will either center on God or we will center on something else. Now, the writer of this proverb is Solomon. And I was trying to think about the fact that Solomon and Augustine, who uh, gave that, uh, wrote that quote that I just gave you earlier, they were very similar in, in nature in some ways. Um, both of them seemed to go after some level of materialism in their lives. Both of them had lust issues in their lives. Both of them were really talented men, but godless in certain areas of their lives. And knowing the principles, but not following those principles. And they both probably came to a place in their lives where it was meaningless. Uh, Solomon had written in the book of Ecclesiastes, meaningless, meaningless. Life is meaningless outside of a centering aspect on God. That's what Augustine got to as well, that life is meaningless. 
I wanted you to think about the fact that your heart is going to center on something, that God has created you to love him, to honor him, and to treasure him. And if you do not, you will find a substitute, and that substitute will not fulfill you. It will leave you hungry. For some of us who struggled with addictions in our lives, we find that you go after that addiction and what happens? The first high is amazing and after that you're chasing that high, trying to get that high again. Every sin that we commit, we're looking for something to satisfy us in a way that only God can. So we'll leave you hungry. Augustine said this, that that inordinate love, disordered love will not only leave you hungry, but it will leave you lonely which is interesting, that the thing I think is going to bring me the most pleasure and the most satisfaction is the very thing that's going to make me lonely. People are going to leave me. I'm going to be alone, rejected. That thing is going to leave me hungry. It's going to leave me lonely, but it's also going to leave me enslaved. How many of us struggle today with things in our lives that we can't seem to get over? And it's because we've set our affections and our treasures on what can never satisfy us, as only God can. So Augustine came to his life where he says, I don't want to be empty and unfulfilled any longer. I don't want to be in bondage. I don't want to be lonely. And he says, God, you've made me for you. I'm resting in you. I want to know about what are you resting in today? Where is your heart? today. Look with me in verse 24. After he just said in Proverbs, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it springs the wells of life. What does verse 24 say? Put away from you crooked speech and devious talk far from you. Why does he go from talking about the heart that I need to guard to my mouth? I wanted to actually bring an illustration, but I didn't do it today, uh, a picture. And you have this picture. I want you to, you know, the water pitcher. I want you to envision this in your mind. And you've got this water pitcher, and you've got the reservoir of that water pitcher. Whatever's in that pitcher itself, we'll say it's water. And then you have the spout of that pitcher. And so now I turn the water, I turn that pitcher over, and I pour that water out into a cup. Well, what happens if it's coffee in that, in that pitcher? Coffee's going to come out. If it's Coke in that pitcher, what is it going to come? Coke's going to come out of Sprite, whatever it is. Whatever's in the pitcher comes out of that pitcher. And the writer to uh, uh, Solomon is saying here is this. One of the key elements of showing what's going on in your heart is what comes out of your mouth. So today, what I want to do is to focus on deepening family communications. How can we improve communications? Now, once again, I'm going to take an eagle's eye view this week. Hopefully, Lord willing, you'll do some study when I send out the stuff. Um, But I want you to think about this. God is in the business of communicating. It's interesting that when God created this world, what did he say? God spoke this world into existence language. He has given us a Bible, language. He, in fact, called his son, what? The Word of God. That God is a communicative God. That if you think about it, none of us would even know God if God hadn't revealed himself to us. He revealed himself to us in creation. He revealed himself to us in the Word, but he also revealed himself to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And isn't that what real communication and relationships are about? It's about revealing myself to somebody. It's about letting go and sharing who I am deeply in my life. What happens when you don't communicate effectively in relationships? So many things. I have couples that sit in their office and they are not communicating well and issues remain unclarified in their lives. Some have wrong ideas that are just generating deep in their hearts. Sometimes it's misinterpretations that happen. Temptations can happen in your life when you don't communicate well. There's confusion, there's disorder. Sometimes you don't make wise choices when you don't communicate well. And a couple that sits there day after day, overwhelmed with the fact that they're not communicating well, miss out. Sometimes there's boredom. Sometimes there's a disenchantment, a discontentment in life. Over and over again, what we find is that if you do not communicate well, you will be hindered. In fact, if you don't communicate well, you may not receive the spiritual help that you need in life as well. So communication is important. I want you to think about several principles this morning that I'm going to ask you to think about. The first principle is this. We all communicate out of our hearts. We all communicate out of our hearts. I want to give you an illustration. So I'm sitting in the office, and part of my job as a counselor is that, uh, let's say I have a husband and wife sitting in the office, and the, the two of them are going back and forth with one another. And every once in a while, let's say one of them says something that is completely off target, wrong. And, and part of my job is to go, stop, you know, wait a minute, <laughs> hold on. Uh, I guess there's some counseling out there. I was just telling my students at school the other day. There's some counseling out there that just basically says that you just encourage people. They'll figure it out themselves. I don't know who they're working with because it's not the people I work with. We need to be directed because our hearts are deceptive and desperately sick. So part of what we do in the counseling is to say, wait a minute, time out. And what you do is you redirect the way they think and you redirect the way they speak in light of God's word and redirect how they behave. And you go, top, time out. So every once in a while, I'll do this, and I'll say, you know what, how about if you consider saying it this way? So I, in fact, give them the words to say, how about if you said it this way? Give them the words. And then out of their mouth goes, they can't even get the words out of their mouth. And why can't they get the words out of their mouth is because you're telling them a behavior to do externally, but there has been no transformation internally. You know, I try to teach my kids to say, you know, I I want you to say, I am so sorry, will you please forgive me for this thing? Now, we can use those same words, I'm sorry, please forgive me, but you could say it with no internal change, or you could say it with an internal change. Now watch this. I'm sorry, please forgive me. I am so sorry. Will you please forgive me? Same exact words, different mechanism of the heart because the picture of their life is pouring out something radically different. So so sometimes we lack grace in our hearts and sometimes we lack humility in our hearts. I have this phrase I use in counseling, I call it passive consent. Passive consent. And passive consent means that if I remain passive, I'm giving you the sense that I'm consenting that what you're saying is true. 
So let me give you an example. If somebody sits in my office and says to me that I believe that I, I am so sinful, God can't possibly forgive me, and what happens if I say nothing? What do they believe? They believe that God can't, I believe that God can't forgive them. So I can't be passive. Communication is so important, I have to go and say, no, God can forgive any sin. And then let me tell you about some of these people in the Old Testament and the New Testament God has forgiven. He's forgiven murderers. He's forgiven those that were lustful. He's forgiven those that denied him even on the night he was betrayed. He can forgive any sin if they are willing to trust him and believe. I need to be able to communicate so you communicate out of your heart. Jump with me to James chapter 3. Because what James, in James chapter 3, he speaks about our hearts. We communicate out of our hearts. We communicate out of what's happening. So as you're turning there, I want you to think, how often is it that you are passive in your communications with your, your spouse or with your children or with your friends? How often is it that you don't close the loop with somebody? Somebody opens a loop with you, but you don't close it. Somebody says, I don't believe that God can forgive me, and you leave it open. I'm not sure you love me and forgive me, and you leave it open. And what you're communicating to people is this, that you don't really, you really believe what they're saying. We need to learn to close loops in our relationship. James gives us some principles about communication in James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. He says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For we know that those who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide though uh, their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are large and driven by such strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. The tongue is a fire, a world of, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, sustaining the whole body, setting the, on fire the entire, course, the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast or bird or reptile or sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by man, but no man can tame his tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who are made in the likeness of God. For out of the same mouth comes blessings and cursings, my brothers. These things ought not to be. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. What, what James is saying here is this, that there should be a real caution for the way we communicate to people. We need to be cautioned in that. And that there is a certainty that every single one of us in this room is going to stumble in some way in the way you communicate. We all do. You're not alone. 
So we all need to be careful in teaching, especially when you stand up in front of people. But then ultimately, you also know that every single one of us in this room is propen- has a propensity to fall when it comes to things that come out of our mouths. But be comforted by this, that God can help you if you do something radically different. Your tongue is being controlled by what is happening within you, he says. Your tongue can be a consuming fire. Scripture tells us that in the power of the tongue is life or death. What comes out of your mouth, is it something that produces hope and healing in people's lives or harm and pain? And what he says is this, not only is your tongue a consuming fire, but the tongue reveals the inconsistencies of what's going on in your heart. Just like this picture, and I'm grabbing this picture and I'm pouring out, what pours out of the picture is a reservoir of what's inside the picture. Our words reveal, um, or a mirror into our heart, he says in Luke chapter 6, verse 45. Our words reveal our tendencies to heal or to hurt. Our words even show us our spiritual maturity. That out of your mouth is a byproduct of how mature you are in Christ. And your words will reveal whether I am focused on the love of God and the love of others or the love of me. Love of God, love of others, or love of me. So the first lesson I need you to hear is this. We all communicate out of our hearts. But there's a second lesson I want you to hear. Communication is much more than just words. Much more than just words. Um, There was a song uh, years ago by uh, Stephen Curtis Chapman. And the title is, More Than Words. He said, Lord, I don't know what to say. As I get down on my knees to pray... The same old phrases come to mind, but you've heard them all a thousand times. It's not that it's untrue. When I say, Lord, I love you, I just want it to be more, more than words. I want my prayers to be more than words, thoughts my heart alone can speak as you listen to me tell of all your power and mercy. Lord, you know it's my desire that you hear is more than just words. I love that song because he's talking about a vertical relationship with God. But is that your passion on a horizontal level as well? That I want my communication to these people that I love to be more than just the words because it is. We in counseling, we talk about this communication pie and we look at Your communication is not just the words that you speak, but it's the tone and it's the nonverbals that go together. Words, tone, and nonverbal. With your words, you can motivate people. You can encourage them. With your words, you show whether you are praising God. With your words, you can communicate the gospel of God's amazing grace to others. With your words, you you can communicate the truths of God and share that with others. With your words, you could see transformation in your relationship with just your words. In Proverbs 15, 1, it says this, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Think about that. How oftentimes is it that you're in a conflict with another person and they hit you in a certain way and you respond in kind? But what happens if as they hit you, you respond in gentleness? in love, and in patience, because out of the picture of your heart is the gospel radically changes everything. Some of us 
um, in our communication, in our words, show great disrespect to one another. We devalue one another. Sometimes in our words, we show bitterness. In our words, we show rage or anxiety or pride or harshness or superiority. I'm better than you. Some of us show some level of callousness and sarcasm. I don't know if these are types of things that come out of your mouth. Sometimes out of your words show impatience, indifference. If this sounds like you, what I want you to say is this. It's not just simply changing what's coming out of the spout. It's about what's in the reservoir of your heart and your life. The Bible says that what should be spilling out of our communication are gentle answers. In Proverbs 25, it says, With patience, a ruler may be persuaded, and a soft tongue will break a bone. Or how about with sweetness? In Proverbs 16, 21, it says this, a wise, The wise of heart is called discerning, and the sweetness of speech incre- increases persuasiveness. Do you hear it? That there is wisdom in the heart, and then there's sweetness of the speech. In, in the New Testament, we're called to be gracious in our communications. In Colossians 4, it says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. I love salt. Uh, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Well, salt was a preservative back then. Your, your words are supposed to be pleasant. In Proverbs sixteen twenty four, it says, gracious words are like that of a honeycomb. I like honey too. Sweetness, I like a lot of stuff, right? Sweetness of the soul and health to the bodies. Our words communicate so much. Do you take the time to think? One of the tools that I ask uh, my clients to do is this. When you're thinking about confronting somebody, We'll talk a little bit more about this next week. When you think about confronting somebody, why don't you actually sit down and write out what it is that you would want to say to them? And then what I ask you to do is to put yourself in their shoes and think about how they're going to respond to you. Think about how they're going to think or how they're going to respond and then have a response for that and measure your words with graciousness and love and acceptance to actually think because communication is so much more than just speaking truth. It's being able to communicate to people's hearts and to people's lives. It's about the words and it's about people. So it's much more than just words. It's also, it's your tone. It's your tone. Some of us struggle immensely with our tone. And as we were talking about before, um, it's not just simply the words that you say. Sometimes it's how you say it. I could say, I love you, and I love you so desperately. And I could say, I love you. And I'm telling you, my wife would hear the second one and go, yeah, right. Your tone, in fact, will betray your words. Uh, Counseling theorists say that actually seven times the impact, your tone has seven times the impact of your words. Now, I don't know if I can prove that biblically, but I will tell you I've proved it practically over the years that I could say I could give the words to the client, but if the tone has not changed, the words mean nothing. Your words can show that there's something deep in your heart that is a struggle and that you have not been trusting. So it's not just the words that you pick. It's not just the tone of your life, of your words, but it is also the nonverbals, your facial expressions, 
your eye contact, your gestures, your, your posture, even touch. You know how oftentimes I will ask uh, husband and wives to sit in a session and it's like, can you just put your hand out there and just touch them? Look at them eyeball to eyeball. Don't look at me. Look at your spouse and look at each other and communicate eye to eye, touch to touch. And those nonverbals have such an amazing thing that they take the words and now my tone because my heart has been transformed and I love you and I can touch you and I can look at you and I can respond face to face. But you know when you're angry with somebody, your face turns away. You remember what um, um, God had said uh, through Aaron's prayer? He had said, make your face to shine upon us. One of the blessings that God gave us is that his face looks intimately at you. Well, isn't that what we want to see in communication in the, with our spouses and our children and our families and our friends? Let your face to be shining upon us. I want you to know that it's only God that can remove the stubborn and bitter heart. I can't do it. That God gives me a new heart and he gives me a new life. In Ezekiel 26, he says, I planted a new heart within you and I've caused you to live in my ways. That God has given me his spirit and given you his spirit if you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. So the ability to communicate in love and grace, God lives in you to do that. Allow Lord, Lord Jesus Christ to communicate through you. And as the Lord Jesus Christ communicates through you, because he is communicating to you, your relationships can change. Well, the first thing I wanted you to think about is the fact that we communicate out of our hearts. The second, it's more than just words. The third is this. I want you to reject all unbiblical ways of communicating. You've got to reject it. We don't put a guard up against this. Some of you are big-time interrupters. I'm, uh, just the reality. You get into a relationship and you just interrupt people. Proverbs 18, 13 says, if anyone gives an answer before he hears, it is to his folly and to his shame. Shut your mouth and listen. But sometimes we just think that my viewpoint is correct and theirs is wrong and I've got the prior answer and just don't waste my time. You're missing it. Some of you choose not to communicate. We were talking about that with passive consent. I had someone recently sit in my office and they were telling me that the spouse had reached out to their, their, their spouse and had communicated something. And the one that received the message never responded. So let's say, I want you to pick up the kids today. This one over here who receives it didn't respond. So what do you think the first one who sent the message believed? They're going to pick up the kids they didn't pick up the kids because he didn't respond. And he didn't respond because of this unwillingness and this, this thing that's going on deep within him. And so the Bible tells me I have no right not to communicate. If somebody communicates with me, I am obligated to communicate with you. Some of us struggle with name-calling. In Proverbs 30, verse 11, it says, there are those who curse their fathers and do not bless their mothers. The Bible says that's absolutely wrong. Some of us are inattentive. 
I heard this counselor give this illustration of men. He called it man fog. <laughs> I like it. So I was watching my Yankees last night lose. And so now as I'm watching the Yankees lose, um, what happens if my wife or my daughter come in and they want to talk and I've got two eyes on this and I've got a half a peripheral vision on them and I kind of go into man fog and my wife starts talking to me about certain things and I'm like in my man fog. Preoccupied, distracted. When people are communicating with me, I'm not hearing them. So one of the cool things we have today is most TVs, pause button. (laughs) In the past, you really had to make a major decision, turn it off. Now, guys, it makes it really easy. Pause the button, turn. Look at her face. Look at his face. Look at your kid's face. Grab your kids by the eyes and look at their face and communicate with them. Don't tune them out. Try to understand them. Some of us judge motives. I could, I could talk for hours on just judging motives. You only said this to make me feel guilty. You know, the only reason why you're doing this is because you want me to buy you something. And what we have a tendency to do is we look deep within. We think we, could, we can't even judge our own hearts, but we believe that we can judge theirs. Oh, what a fool we are. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, it says this, For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment for the time before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in the darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. See, God doesn't give me the option of judging your heart. I may be able to judge words or motives, words or actions. I'm not allowed to judge your heart. Because my heart is so messed up, I'm not even sure my own heart, let alone yours. But what happens if you're in a relationship with somebody and it's like, James, that sounds good in practice, but I've been with this guy for 40 years. I know why he's doing it. Ask the question. Ask him to judge his own heart. That, honey, we've been together for so long And I've seen this thing in your life. And is it possible that the reason why you responded this way was because of this? And then leave it. And let them confront themselves by the Holy Spirit. Let them examine their own hearts. Don't you point the finger out. Just show a light out. And can you imagine what would happen if instead of criticism, which leads to defensiveness in most people, there is, I love you. Would you please pray about this area in your life? i got so many on the list, I don't have enough time to go through them. Some of us make some generalizations. You never do this. You always do this. I, you can't possibly love me. You know, you are the worst person at that. And what, is, what we communicate with our words is once again a level of superiority and pride. And these generalizations are tr- crazy. You never listen to me? Is that reality? You're the absolute worst person? Come on now. We got Satan. We got Hitlers. We I mean this is you didn't marry that. (sighs) Those statements are just so harsh. They're so unloving. 
Sometimes we blame shift. Sometimes we condescend. Sometimes we have insults, harshness. I can go through the list. You know what they are. Because the reality is this, and I often say this to clients, how is it that you don't talk to me this way? How is it that when you talk to me and I push your buttons, because my job is to push buttons and to uncover stuff, how is it that you don't talk to me this way that you talk to people that you supposedly love? Because you know you're not supposed to. That you walk through the door in the morning and you put on your Sunday face, but then outside the door you're cursing and demeaning each other. You know it's not supposed to be that way. Brothers, it should not be that way. And sisters. So point number one was the fact that we communicate out of our hearts. Point number two is it's more than just words. Uh, Point number three is that we have to refuse and say, I'm not going to go down the path of unbiblical communications. Point number four I want you to consider is this. It's about unity, not uniformity. It's about unity. My wife and I have been together for 30 years now. I do not see things exactly the same way that she does. She doesn't see things exactly the way I do. I love these elders. We were with them just on Friday. We were doing a uh, beginning of an elders retreat, praying over you guys, thinking about the direction of this church and where we want to go. I don't agree with everything. We're not complete in agreement in thought, but we're unified because of the gospel. It's unity amidst diversity. But for some reason, we tend to think in our relationships it's got to be uniformity. It's wrong. I need to look at the pleasure of seeing the differences between other believers and loving them, and maybe I can grow from them and be changed by them. And maybe I can have an impact in their lives. And that's where that iron sharpening iron comes in. The Bible calls me to make every effort to bring about unity. Every effort. Do you realize, and we'll talk about this next week, that the Bible says that if I know that I have offended you, Matthew 5 says I need to even get up out of this worship service and go and find you to make it right. I need to break every bonds in order to pursue peace with you. But how about over here where you have offended me? In Matthew 18, it doesn't take me off the hook. I need to take the initiative to pursue peace. Even when you've offended me, I need to go and make it right. For some of us, we have had no communication with people for years, and there's something wrong with that. That if the gospel has transformed our lives, we should be pursuing others. So much to do, so little time to do it, so let me end with this. Go back to Proverbs chapter 4 for me. In Proverbs chapter 4, He says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it springs the wells of life. Augustine had said that you've made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until we rest in you. 
and I had said that you will create other gods, other things to satisfy you, and they will leave you hungry and lonely and enslaved. The only one that will change your heart and your life is the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus should become the aim of our hearts, the aim of our worship. Whether it's a worship song or preaching or whatever we do, Jesus Christ should be the aim of it. It's all about him. Jesus Christ is the access to real worship. If any of you have never trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, you can't possibly have a relationship with the Father unless you come through the Son. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So we could talk about all the communication principles that you want, but unless your heart has been radically been made differently with God, nothing will happen externally differently in your life. Jesus is the aim of worship. Jesus is the access to the Lord, to the Father. And Jesus is the authority in our worship. That Jesus Christ should be the one who is setting the course in what's going on in my heart and what is being pursued out of my life. Is he? Your only hope and happiness is found in Lord Jesus Christ. God is passionate about displaying his glory through you. He's passionate about that. And as God is so passionate about that, he wants your delight to be in him. See, what what we do is this, he loves me and it comes through me and then that pours out of my life like that pitcher. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. My cup runneth over. You know, God wants to do something amazing in your heart. I've given you an abundant life and out of that abundant life, he wants to spill forth his grace and his glory. Our lives will only find its joy in Christ. He's the only one who will sustain us in times of struggle. So let go of self-righteousness. Let go of self-determination. Let go of self-reliance and fall into the arms of the only one who's ever going to satisfy you. And then let him pour out of your life for the glory and honor of his name and the good of others. Lord, we praise you and we thank you. It's all about you. Lord, I pray that you would remind us that you're the God of grace. I was quoting that song earlier, Lord, and he said, more than words. I I want my prayer to be more than words. Thoughts of my heart alone can speak as you listen to me tell of your power and mercy. He said, as I open up this book and read of all the love it took for a holy God to care for men, oh, Spirit, help me understand. It's not that it's unclear. It's a letter to children. But, Lord, I want to know it's much more. As we quietly wonder at what you've done, the Lord Jesus Christ, we want our prayers and our words more more to be than just words. Father, there is healing that needs to happen in people's lives, in their relationships, today. And Lord, I pray that maybe there's some here that have never trusted in your son. I pray that today they would bow their knee to him. Maybe today there is somebody here that knows that they need to seek forgiveness from a spouse, from a child, from a parent, from a friend. 
I pray that they would do that today. And I pray that would pour out what would pour out of the pictures of their lives is the gospel grace for the glory and honor of your name. And all God's people said, amen.